Greetings, Stay Frosty Parkrunners, and welcome to the 25th edition of the Stay Frosty Parkrun podcast. I'm your host, Emu, and I'm going to be here for roughly the next 20 minutes or so to talk to you about running health and safety, including a few first aid basics. I'll also be revealing my star parkrunner of the week, introducing my featured parkrun, wishing a happy birthday to all parkruns who have anniversaries coming up, and of course, letting you all know how we got on in our parkruns this week. As always, if you'd like to get in touch, you can send me an email to stayfrostyparkrun at gmail.com, or you can leave me a message on the Stay Frosty Facebook page. I'd love to be able to share your parkrun stories and anecdotes in my pod. First up, health and safety. Not the most exciting topic in the world, I'll happily admit, but I did a first aid at work course a few years ago, which I found really interesting. I think it's fair to say that I'm fairly introverted most of the time, so the bit I found the most useful of the on the course was how, if you're unfortunate enough to come across someone who is badly injured, you need to take control of the situation. It's not about swooping in and being a hero, it's about doing what needs to be done in order to make sure that that injured person is safe and looked after. This could be making sure they're comfortable and getting someone else to phone for an ambulance and telling them to, what to say to the ambulance dispatch on the phone, or it could be lending assistance to someone who, someone else who is on the scene first and needs you to run to get a defibrillator, for example. Let's start with the basics. Most running-related maladies are minor enough that they can be treated there and then, either by treating yourself or by helping you, or by you treating another person. First aid does not include anything defined as surgery. That's anything like stitching a wound or removing dirt and splinters from a wound, which all classes as surgery. A cut is any injury where the skin is fully broken and a graze is an injury where top layers of skin have been scraped off. This could be the result of a trip or a fall, or low-hanging branches whilst you're out running. For both cuts and grazes, you should clean the affected area with running water or alcohol-free wipes. It should then be patted dry and covered with a sterile gauze or a clean, non-fluffy cloth. If you don't have these things available, please ask your parkrun organisers. For injuries which keep bleeding, you can elevate and support the injury and apply pressure to stop the bleeding. You can then remove the cloth or gauze that you previously used and apply a sterile dressing or a large plaster. For anything with a high risk of infection, e.g. the wound cannot be cleaned properly or a foreign body remains under the skin, you should advise the person to seek a healthcare professional in order to clean it properly. Blisters are more likely to occur on longer running distances than 5 kilometres. However, if you find you are getting blisters running 5 kilometres, it may be worth changing your socks and or shoes to see if this is the problem. To treat a blister, you should not burst it. You should wash the skin around the blister with clean water and then gently pat it dry with sterile gauze or a clean non-fluffy material. You can also get blister plasters designed to prevent the area continuing to rub against your shoe. If you or someone else suffers a knee injury from repetitive movement like running, you should stop and rest. If the knee is injured from a fall or sudden movement, you should, if possible, lie down and elevate the knee in a supported position. If available, place a cold compress or ice pack on the affected area for no more than 10 minutes at a time. Put soft padding around the knee and use a bandage to hold it in place in order to minimise swelling and seek assistance from someone who is first aid trained. If the knee continues to be painful and or swollen, do not try to walk, run or straighten the leg. Seek medical attention. This advice is also applicable for ankle, foot and other similar leg injuries. 
For a serious injury where the patient is reluctant to move, I would say it's important to keep them talking. They may reveal information about the injury which could be useful in the future when, uh, for example, the paramedics get there or someone like the doctor is giving them advice. I've myself only had one serious injury to my knee. I ruptured my anterior cruciate ligament in my left knee by attempting to lift Jay up when I was a little tipsy and then falling over awkwardly on it. Happens to the best of us, right? Anyway, this was before I was first aid trained, and where I normally keep quite calm and logical, all that went straight out the window when I tried to put weight on it and my knee actually dislocated. I didn't know that was what had happened, but the sight of it was quite shocking. If I'd been a little more calm, I probably would have carefully hopped down the stairs and got a taxi to the hospital, but it's difficult to think straight when you're in shock. We waited five hours for an ambulance, and when I got to the hospital, it was misdiagnosed as a patella dislocation. I was given the wrong type of leg brace with crutches and sent home pending a further appointment. At the subsequent appointment, the doctor immediately took away the leg brace which had immobilised my leg and gave me one which would allow some degrees of bending. The following appointment, I had an MRI scan and another appointment the surgeon confirmed to me that I had completely destroyed my ACL. I opted for surgery to replace my ACL with tendon from my left hamstring, and after keeping up pretty well with the recovery exercises, I was able to rebuild the muscle in my left quad and start running again. My overriding point from this story is that the more information you're able to gather about the injury when it happens, the more useful it will be for the doctors who are trying to help the patient. Plus, by talking to them and asking sensible questions, you can help to keep them calm in what could be a very stressful situation. I hope I'm never in the same situation again, but I think if I were, I feel I would be able to cope better with it, try and analyse what is wrong so that I can take appropriate action. I think the process of self-diagnosis can be a useful tool, and if you have some basic first aid knowledge, you can take action which may speed your recovery. By the time the ambulance arrived, my knee was so swollen that there was no real information the medics could ascertain from it, and it was far too swollen to have an MRI scan at that point. So I had to wait weeks for the swelling to go down. If I had elevated it and or iced it at the scene, things may have been different, but I guess you live and learn. Also, having gone through that horrible experience will hopefully mean that I'm more empathetic if I have to treat someone else who has had a similar sort of injury in the future. Moving on from physical injuries though, when you're running it can be easy to become dehydrated, especially if you sweat a lot on a long run and or on a warm day. If dehydration is left untreated it can develop into heat exhaustion which is a serious condition caused by loss of salt and water from the body. The advice given here is to drink fluids regularly during your run, but I would argue that unless you are prone to dehydration you probably don't need to drink anything during your 5km run but it's a very good idea to make sure you are properly dehydrated before you start and to have a drink waiting for you when you finish the run. Even on cold days, when you may not feel like you need a drink, it's still a really good idea to have a drink ready for you when you finish so that you can prevent yourself from getting dehydrated. Dehydration may manifest in symptoms like headache, feeling dizzy or lightheaded, having a dry mouth and or feeling thirsty. Lack of urination or dark urine and muscle cramps are also signs that you may be dehydrated. To treat, you need to drink some water or an isotonic sports drink. If you don't feel any better after drinking, you should seek medical attention or refer the person to a healthcare professional. There's also a note here to avoid drinking excessive amounts of fluid in short periods of time as that can also be dangerous. A step on from dehydration is heat exhaustion. There's no clear-cut line between the two, 
but heat exhaustion develops slowly and usually happens if you're not used to running in hot and humid conditions. The symptoms again might include headache, nausea, pale and clammy skin, cramps and a, weaken and a rapid or weakening pulse. Any of these symptoms should be referred to a medical prof professional, but, your but for first aid you need to try to cool the person down, get them to drink some water or an isotonic sports drink. It's also a good idea to lie them down and elevate their feet if possible. Even if they recover quickly, they should still see a medical professional as soon as possible to check that there's no permanent damage. I'm also at this point going to include low blood sugar here, as more and more people are being diagnosed with diabetes, and low blood sugar can also cause dizziness, clammy, clammy skin, a rapid pulse and confusion in the person affected. The proper name for low blood sugar is hypoglycemia. Most of us have experienced it at some point in our lives when we've skipped a meal or gone a long time without eating for whatever reason. This affects people with diabetes more as their body cannot produce the insulin required to keep their blood sugar levels balanced. It can make a person feel weak, faint and hungry and it can make them irritable or behave irrationally. They may have cold, clammy skin and a rapid pulse and they could be trembling and become less and less responsive as time goes on. If you see these symptoms in someone, you should help them to sit down and rest. If ask if they are diabetic and if they have their own glucose gel which you can help them to take. If they don't have anything to eat, you should give them something sugary like fruit juice or a fizzy drink or some sugary sweets or something. You can ask someone else, obviously, if you can't find these things. If they do not improve after having something sweet, they may have a glucose testing kit which you can help them to use. Check for other causes and then call 999 or 112 for medical help. Whilst waiting for medical assistance, keep checking their pulse, breathing and general, general responsiveness. At the other end of the scale is hyperglycemia, where the blood sugar levels are too high. Symptoms of this may manifest in warm, dry skin, rapid pulse and breathing, fruity sweet breath, extreme thirst, drowsiness which may lead to unresponsiveness if left untreated. If you suspect hyperglycemia, you should call 999 or 112 straight away for medical help and say that you suspect hyperglycemia. Whilst you wait for medical help to arrive, you should check their pulse, breathing and responsiveness. If the person loses responsiveness at any point, e.g. loss of consciousness, you should open their airway, check their breathing and pulse and be prepared to treat someone who is unresponsive, either with CPR or a defibrillator, or find someone who knows CPR and is able to assist you. Trouble with these ailments is there may not be any vis visible symptoms. There may be a, they may be a little unsteady on their feet or look a bit confused, but if you have reason to suspect dehydration or anything worse, it's a good idea to check out if they're okay. Something as simple as asking if they feel okay can be enough to start a dialogue with the person that you're worried about. If they seem a bit unsteady on their feet, they might still be reluctant to sit down, but if you sit with them, it'll seem like less of a big deal. If other runners are still zipping past, it might be a good idea to get one of them to tell the parkrun organisers that someone has been taken ill and where they are on the course. You can also ask the runner to return with water and or sweets, whatever you feel may help in the given situation. Even if you think the person may be very unwell, it's important to keep a cool head so that you can make sound decisions and also so that the patient doesn't become panicked or upset. Keeping calm will also give off an air of confidence which the patient will find comforting even if you are not 100% sure what is ailing them. And lastly, I've covered this one before but it still classes as general health and safety. Running at night can be risky if you aren't careful. 
If you're running late at night, it's probably best to go without your music so you can be aware of traffic and other persons around you. Plus, if you're a regular runner, it's a good idea to vary your route so that anyone who might have any intention of doing you harm will find it difficult to predict where your running route is. Ideally, stick to well-lit, busy roads and paths, although I know this isn't always possible. Take your phone with you and make sure someone else knows where you're running and how long you're going to be, so if you take too long, they know where to go and look for you. And lastly, but most importantly, if you're running somewhere and for some reason it doesn't feel right or safe, go with your gut. You can always turn back and run back the way you've come, or you can make a different turn which takes you back to a main road. Even if there's nothing wrong and you're just being a bit paranoid, it's always better off erring on the side of caution. And that covers some of the first aid and health and safety basics. Like I've said, the main thing is to use common sense. And even if you're not sure how to help someone who's injured, your presence alone will mean that they are far better off than being on their own and injured. And now it's on to this week's Star Park Runner. So this week my chosen Star Park Runner is... Christine Bull. Today, Christine ran at South Norwood Park Run. She has done 80 park runs, 7 at South Norwood, and today she got a new PB in a time of 44 minutes and 6 seconds, which is a whole 2 minutes and 14 seconds quicker than her previous PB in November 2018. Congratulations, Christine. Fantastic effort. If you know someone who you'd like to nominate for my Star Park Runner of the Week, let me know their story. I'd love to hear your nominations, and I could be giving them a drum roll next week. You can send an email to stayfrostyparkrun at gmail.com or leave a message for me on the Stay Frosty Facebook page. This week's featured park run takes us to the Victoria Dock where Jay and I ran in the cold snap two weeks ago. It gave us our letter V for, park run, for our park run alphabet and proved to be a good park run to get a quick finishing time. Victoria Dock Park Run is located close to city Air, London City Airport and you run under the Emirates airline as well as having a nice view up the river as you run. It's a short walk if you get off the tube at Canning Town, or you can catch buses 474 to Charrington Steps, about three minutes walk away, or bus routes 147 or 241 and hop off at Monday Road, Royal Victoria DLR, which is about six minutes walk away. If you're, following, uh, if you're walking, you can follow signs for the Emirates airline and then walk up Seagull Lane, then cross over Western Gateway at the pedestrian crossing. If you take a slight right and walk along the side of the docks past the Crystal, or the Siemens Centre, until you've gone past the main building, then you turn right into the gardens and you'll see the community hut where everyone assembles before the event. The course is flat and run entirely on tarmac, on two out-and-back segments, first up the left side of the dock, past the Excel Centre, and then back through the starting point and up the other side of the dock and uh, back to the start-finish area. When we were there, there was ice on one small part of the route, but this was avoidable once you knew where it was by running around the, running a little wide around the affected area. There is a toilet in the community hut where everyone meets at the start, but there's only one and there was a little bit of a queue before the start, so you might want to get there a touch early. After the run, there is tea and coffee on offer at the community hut again, but it didn't seem a very popular choice when we were there, although it was very cold, and they did run out of hot water, so we, we actually peeled off before we had a hot drink. Volunteer numbers lately have been between 7 and 11, and runner numbers have ranged from 100 up to over 150, maxing out on the 21st of April 2018 with 252 runners. 
This parkrun event started on the 17th of March in 2018, and this week's event number was 43, so they have an anniversary coming up soon in March. It was nice that they were able to use this small community hut for shelter from the cold and wind before the start, but it wouldn't have been big enough for all 100 runners, I don't think. Jay and I actually really enjoyed this run along the docks, with the planes flying low overhead and the Emirates Airline above as well. It was a very scenic park run, so if you're looking for a nice letter V, this is a very good choice. As I've said, we're both able to get very quick times here, because of the surface and the flatness of the course. And that noise means it's time for a little hooray for the latest upcoming parkrun anniversaries and all the volunteers working so hard to make it all happen. Sixfields Upton Parkrun and Gloucester City Parkrun both have first anniversaries coming up as they started on the 24th of February in 2018. Shipley Country Parkrun started up on the 25th of February in 2017 so they will soon be celebrating their second anniversary. It's a third anniversary for Sittingbourne Parkrun, who started on the 27th of February in 2016, and a fourth anniversary for Digcott Parkrun, who started up on the 21st of February in 2015. Gibside Parkrun and Lyme Parkrun and Chipping Sodbury Parkrun will all be celebrating their fifth anniversaries after starting on the 22nd of February in 2014. And finally for this week, it's a sixth anniversary for Thetford Parkrun and Scunthorpe Parkrun, who both started on the 23rd of February in 2013. Many happy returns to all the parkruns with their anniversaries. And last, but definitely not least, it's our park runs this week. Nikki went to Barking Park Run this week, where she volunteered for the first time as a barcode scanner. Extra kudos, Nikki, for your first volunteering credit. She was actually using the mobile phone app to scan the barcodes, which she said worked well and will hopefully make Park Run even more affordable, as it means you need less money at the s for the setup costs because you're not having to use the equipment like the barcode scanner. Jay and I both went to South Norwood and we also volunteered this week. Jay was a marshal at the top of Heartbreak Hill, letting all the runners know their times as they dashed, jogged and walked past. He says his hands were red with all the clapping he was doing and one runner upgraded his dog at some point on the run and had a different dog on the first lap and compared to the second lap of the run. I volunteered as one of the timekeepers and I got chatting with my lovely counterpart, timekeeper Geraldine, who is having a break from running at the moment but hoping to get back into it as the weather improves this year. There were 125 park runners today, including the tailwalker, and despite the mild weather, our hands were numb with the cold by the end, but it was worth it for all the smiling park runners and their appreciation. Jay and I are considering another parkrun tourism session next week, but it will be a little weather dependent, and annoyingly a delivery which needs signing for arriving in the vague time slot between 9am and 5pm, as seems to be standard for all these companies. Oh, and as a little update, I was going to let everybody know how I'm getting on with my 10k training plan. So, this was uh, the second week of the training plan, and actually last week, which was week one, was uh, a bit of a tricky one because I was quite poorly on the Tuesday, Wednesday. I was off work with a fairly ma mad, bad cold. 
Um, so I didn't run a lot that week, but I did do the park run on the Saturday, and then I managed to get out for a 25-minute run on the Sunday, a gentle one, just because I was still feeling a bit rough. Uh, this week, however, I managed to do pretty much all of the training that um, I'm supposed to do this week. So on the Monday, I managed to do the 35-minute run with the one-minute fast pace, six-minute slow pace. I did the rest on Tuesday. I was very happy to do that. 40-minute run on the Wednesday, both of which actually I did in the evening, which is unusual for me, but I was just I didn't have the motivation to get up in the morning for that. I will admit to skipping out on the core workout for which I was supposed to do on the Thursday. Managed to rest on Friday, no problem. And then, like I say, uh, yesterday I actually volunteered. So instead of doing the park run, what I did is after we got home, I uh, ran five kilometres around our local cemetery. Three laps of that is almost exactly 5k. And did it as if I was doing a park run where I'd try to get a good time, you know. So I did quite a quick one there. And today I'm very pleased to say that Jay and I both managed to get out for a nice long easy run. He did just over 9 kilometres, and I did just over 10. So we were both very happy with that as well. So, touch wood, so far the training plan is going okay. We'll see, we'll see what happens because I've actually done a run yesterday, a run today, and in theory I'm going to be doing a run tomorrow, so we'll see if I have the motivation to be able to do that as well. And I'll let you all know how I get on with that. And that about wraps it up for another week. I've touched on it previously, but next week I'm going to be looking a little more into long-run nutrition. So if you have any tips or foodstuffs or recipes which you found particularly great for long runs, feel free to drop me a message via email on stayfrostyparkrun at gmail.com or by leaving me a message on the Facebook page. I'd love to be able to share some of your ideas or recipes or any foods that you found are really good when you're training or on a very long run. And once again, all that remains for me to say now is thank you very much for listening. Stay frosty, parkrunners, and I'll see you all next week. Oh, my God.